All right, so I want to read to you guys a little note, uh, give you a little picture of what it's like to be on staff at Redemption. So some of us are uh, fully like on staff and work for the church. And so we wrote a note to Vince, and you guys don't get to see kind of the ways that we celebrate and, and encourage him. And so I, I wanted to read the note to give you a little bit deeper glimpse into our staff. And so this was for his birthday. Here's, here's a note that we as a staff came together and wrote to Vince. It says this, Vince, we're so thankful that you were born in January. On, on January 25th, no less. Our whole staff is so thankful for you. Whether it's your insatiable appetite for celery, your hatred of the Saints football team, or how often you tell us not to quote the office, you always have something to teach us through who you are. When it comes to ministry, there are two things we love about you. Your quiet nature and how seriously you take yourself. It's almost as if you know that there is no place for jokes in the kingdom of God. <laughs> Happy 42nd birthday. We wish you the best and hope this gift card to one of your favorite restaurants, Miracle Mile Deli, helps you to feel loved. All right, so you're, you're figuring out what happened. This isn't a real note we left him. But, uh, so, uh, but uh, as you've caught on, right, a, a lot of that note, although it was nice and kind, it's not true about Vince, right? Like, he was born in January, sure, not on January 25th. He was born on January 1st. Uh, if, if we speak out against Saints football team to his face, we see his idolatry flare up, and he tries to hurt us, right? He's constantly quoting the office, again, showing some more of his idolatry. Uh, he <laughs> just, he's not here, so it's easy. This is the time for us to uh, talk about him. I've never seen him eat celery. I'm, I don't know if he likes it or not. Uh, he, we know he's not quiet when it comes to ministry and life, and we know that he doesn't take himself too seriously. He, I mean, last week he talked about naked people at Disneyland, and so uh, you got to listen to that sermon if you didn't hear it. Um, and he didn't turn 42, he turned 36. And uh, we didn't get him a gift card, but if I got him a gift card to Miracle Mile Deli, that's actually one of my favorite restaurants, and he hates it, and he hates going there. And it's in Phoenix, which he also hates. And so... So why, okay, why am, I, why, am I, why am I reading this fake note that we didn't really give him? And, and, and here's why. It's to illustrate how today could go for us. Okay, here's what I mean. Today, we're going to be talking a lot about God's judgment and his justice. And here's the thing. Sometimes when we get to passages like this, what we tend to do is just kind of go like, uh, that's, that's yucky. I... I I don't like that idea. That's old. We're misreading it. That, that can't be who God is. My perception of God cannot have a God who's like that. And so then what begins to happen to us is as we are in a relationship with God, we have the sort of relationship that is good in some ways. Like in the birthday note, we're saying nice things to Vince, but those things that we're saying to him are just not true. And I think a lot of us, for a lot of us in the room, at different points in our life, our relationship with God looks like that, where we don't have an accurate image of who he is. And here's the thing about being in a relationship with someone. It helps to know them, right? So if we had given this birthday note to Vince for real, he would have flipped tables, right? Like he would have been like, what is going on? This is not who I am. And so here's my hope for today, is that as we look at these things about God, that some of us that sometimes just want to toss out or say that can't be who God is, 
I would actually kind of challenge that. I would kind of encourage us to go, do we really actually want to know God? And could God be different than what we expect him to be? Because I, I think he could. Years ago when I first kind of wanted to go into ministry, one of, the big, one of the bigger reasons why I wanted to go into ministry was I wanted to help people get into better relationship, into a better relationship with God. And so when we get to texts like today in Malachi, I could kind of just like walk around it and say, well, the, uh, and, and skirt around who God is. But then I'm not helping you get into a better relationship with God. It truly helps us to know who God is. It truly helps our relationship with him. Does that make sense, church? So we're going to dive into some things that maybe some of you have just totally cast out at this point. But here's my hope from the passages that we go through today. My hope is that we'll look at three different things about God, and all of those things will help us to get to know God more. Okay, so we're going to look through three different things. First, what we're going to do, we're, we'll just go through the passage together, and we'll just make sure we're understanding what Malachi is communicating to Israel at that time. And then after that, we're going to jump into these three things that help us to get to know God better. First, we're going to see that this passage helps, helps us to get to know God's character better. Then we're going to see that this passage shows us one of God's desires for his people. And then we're going to see in this passage some of God's actions. And as we learn in Exodus, we don't get to know God just through what he says about himself, but by what he does as well. So that's my hope today, that, that everything that we do helps us to get to know God better. All right, so let's hop into it. We're going to be in Malachi chapter 2. Verse 17, if you're new to the Bible and how it works, uh, Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. It's about two-thirds or more of the way through. And Malachi was speaking this. This is kind of one of the last words of God before Jesus came to the scene, essentially. So we're going to be in verse 17, and we're going to go all the way to chapter 3, verse 5. It's a little bit of a, a, of a lot to read, but it all goes together and flows well. So we're going to read it all together uh, now. So it says this, verse 17, You have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? Behold, and this is God responding, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you will see, who you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them, refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker and his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner, and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. Okay. So as we've seen in Malachi, there's, there's been a bit of a dialogue between God and his people. At points in it, God is just bringing up problems he has with the people of Israel. And at other points, 
that Malachi is highlighting some of the things the people of Israel are saying, and God is responding to those things. And so right here, we get one of those kind of moments, kind of a bit of a dialogue. And, and right away, the Israelites, they're, they're just starting off with a bad statement and a bad question, right? They're going, God, you're the sort of God, you like evil. It makes you happy. You delight in evil. And then they're also asking, where is the God of justice? Now, listen, in, in the Bible, there's a lot of places where God's people and God, individuals and in God's people question God and lament and doubt and ask him things. And, and, and their heart, though, usually is to get more of God, to get more of who he is. From what I can tell of Malachi, this wasn't their heart. This wasn't Israel's heart. Because if you think about where they're at, they were rescued from Egypt. God gave them a land, made them a people. They disobeyed God constantly, worshipped other gods, did all sorts of evil in the midst of that time. So God, he sent them into exile. He allowed other countries to come in and take over Israel and take them away from their land. And now, in spite of all that, in spite of Israel essentially not living up to their covenant with the Lord, their relationship with God, God says, you know what, I'm going to let you come back into the land and reestablish Israel. And they're walking around going, God, you delight in evil. If I was God right here, I'd be like, you, you're right, I do, because I'm delighting in you. And then I'd hit them. Like, that's what I would do if I was God. So it's a good thing I'm not God. But they're going around. And so when they ask this question, where is the God of justice, they're not lamenting. I think they're mocking. I think they're going, hey, you call yourself the God of justice? Where is he then, oh God of justice? So they start off with a bad statement and a bad question, and God responds to both of those things. God says essentially that he's going to roll out justice in his timing. He's going to bring a refining process to God's people, and he's going to bring judgment to God's people and the world. And the prophet, God through the prophet, highlights a handful of sins that, that he takes issue with. Now, why God is bringing this up is these aren't the sins God hates most. I, as we see throughout this uh, book, there's all sorts of things Israel is doing this is just another handful of things that Israel is doing that God is not okay with. So he, he brings up sorcery. So listen, some of you are going, okay, i got to burn my Harry Potter books. No, all right, that's pretend, okay, it's a pretend thing. Uh, but the sorcery, I think, is a real thing, even in our world today. But back then, it was essentially, think of like the magicians in Egypt and how they could do these things Moses was doing, not every time, but a lot of the times they could do some of these crazy things. And I don't think it was just like, you know, David Blaine type stuff, like I have a snake here, right? Like maybe it was. Um, but I think it was, they were tapping in to the spiritual world and they were avoiding God in the process. And they were tapping into these demonic forces and powers and, and worshiping them, praising them, pressing into them in order to get power in this world. So that's what God's speaking out against. So if you're doing that, please don't, okay? <laughs> like, all right? 
So, anyways, um, he, he doesn't, so, so God doesn't like sorcery in his people. He doesn't like the adulterers. He doesn't like those who swear falsely. So this, this is at least lying, but it's probably a few more things that we don't really have a lot of time for. But it's almost like lying in the name of God at times or caring about things more than you care about God or care about the truth. Um, God doesn't like those who oppress the workers and, and how it says just paying them unfairly. Okay? I don't know, business owners, watch out. Um, he also doesn't like that there are those that are oppressing the widow and the fatherless or not taking care of them. He doesn't like that there are those that are thrusting aside the sojourner. The, God's law had so many ways to take care of people that were traveling through their land or foreign people coming to live in their land, and they were just thrusting those people aside. And God says, just almost to kind of encompass anything, those that don't fear me. Again, I think God's bringing this up because of how they started the conversation. They started, with any, they started it without any sort of fear of the Lord. So this is what God says. He says he's going to bring justice and judgment to those things and in these ways. So how does this passage help us get to know God better? Okay, first, I want to look at how this passage helps us to get to know God's character, who he is as a being. Okay, one thing I want to highlight this isn't a character trait, but it's just something we should highlight. God is wearied by them. God is wearied by this blasphemy. Right? God has done so much for them at this moment that their question, their statement, it just wearies him. I, again, we can relate to that. If you've ever had little kids in your life, whether you're a teacher or a parent or an older sibling, there are times when the kid will just say, like, ask for candy, and you've already given them candy that day, and you'll say, no, no more candy, I don't want your teeth to fall out, and they'll just say, well, you don't love me then, right? It's just, it's, it's just wearying, okay? Kids, that's wearying, okay? Bring my kids out from kids' church. No, I'm just, <laughs> it's wearying, but again, this isn't a character trait, but it helps us get to know God. He, he's wearied by this, right? This is how it helps us to get to know God. He's not grandpa God. He's not grandma God. He's not just handing out the Kindle every time. Like, he's not just handing out all this candy and cookies and grandparents bless you, but that's what you guys do. That, that's not who God is. He's wearied by their sin. He's wearied by their rebellion. And sometimes we paint a picture of God. He's like Grandpa God or Grandma God, and that's not who he is. Okay? Some other parts of his character here. God is patient, and he's loving. You go, Anthony, that was not, that didn't sound very patient. That didn't sound very loving. Here, here, here's the thing. They just said a, a, an audacious statement, and they just mockingly asked a question. And again, if I was God, mama said knock you out, right? Like I would, I would just take care of them. But God, he actually responds to them. He actually answers their question. They, they, uh, they essentially accuse him of delighting in evil, and he says, no, I don't. And they say, where are you then? And he says, I'm rolling out justice in my timing and in my way. God didn't have to do that. God didn't have to be this kind and gracious to them. But he's patient and he's loving with the people of Israel. Does this remind you of Jesus at all? 
Remember how Jesus all the time, he kind of gets these accusations and different things. And, and sure, Jesus is firm and stern at times. But often he answers the people that are, are, be, that are being blasphemous toward him. And the reason I just want to highlight that is because I hear it all the time. The, the, the God of the Old Testament is different than Jesus. And, and I just want to challenge you. I don't think you're reading the Old Testament. I don't think you're reading it closely enough. I think you're getting to Genesis, you're, you read about the Nephilim, and you're like, what? And then you stop, and you stop seeing who God is. God is loving and patient. He doesn't have to respond to them. He doesn't have to answer them, but he does. God's also just. God's also just here. We see that in his character. God does care about evil. He does care about evil in the world. He wants the people of Israel then and there to know that he does not delight in evil. So much so that he brings another handful of evils he's seen that he doesn't like. He's just in that he's going to bring evil to an end. That's what he's telling us in this passage. He's not just going to let it go unrestrained forever. God eventually is going to bring evil to an end. He's going to stop evil. God is just. Again, this is, this is some of the stuff that's going to press up against us. We, don't, we like the idea of a loving God. We don't like the idea of a just God. We like the idea of a God who takes care of the really evil people, but we don't like the idea of a God who takes care of the evil in our hearts. But that's who he is. Even just look at all the different things he mentions. Sure, like sorcery, that sounds pretty intense. But then just not even paying people the right amount. He's saying these things both bother him. We get to know God and who he is in his very character through this passage. Let's look at the second way I think this passage helps us to get to know God. And it's we get to see one of God's desires in this passage. We get to see something he desires and cares about. Okay? One thing one of, one of my seminary professors says all the time, uh, Mike Goheen, but he's actually quoting Sidney Gradinus. I think that's how you say his name. Um, I'm, I'm not a very good student. And uh, one thing he always says when we're going through different passages is he says, what is the text, he's talking about the biblical text, what is, this, what is this text trying to do? What is the text itself trying to do? Now, it's not personified, it's not its own thing, but really, what is God trying to do through his word in this instance? And if we look at this passage in Malachi, I think it's pretty straightforward. What we see, what, what is God's desire? His desire for his people is that they would stop sinning, that they would remember who he is, that they would live like God in the world. It's, it's pretty simple. Turn from your sin. Don't sin like that. And if you're my people, live how I would live in the world. This is one of God's desires for the Israelites. So when Malachi was, was saying this to the people of Israel, he wasn't just saying it like, well, this is going to happen in the future. Like, don't worry about it. Like, he, he, God and Malachi, because of God, Wanted Israel to change then and there. It wasn't just for the sake of of whatever. The text was trying to get Israel to see where they were sinning and to turn from their sin. So this is God's desire. He wants his people to turn from their sin. 
So if that's God's desire for Israel, I think it's easy for us to know that that's God's desire for us. Right? Like Jesus said, we've been grafted into Israel. Anyone that has faith in Christ is now part of the people of God. And so God's desire for us in this room, if we have faith in Christ, is that we would turn from our sin. That we would repent. That we remember God's goodness. That we would turn from these specific sins. So just a really easy application. If you're doing any of those things that were listed there, don't do them anymore. Right? I don't want to come to your house, see the Ouija board and seances. Like, I don't want to see that stuff. Okay? We are, we are to repent from this stuff. And I honestly, I could probably st- spend a whole sermon just on those different things that Malachi listed. But God's people, no matter what the sin is, God's desire for us is that we would turn from it. And we would turn to him. And we would live like him in this world. This is God's desire. We're getting to know God and who he is. All right, let's move on to kind of like the last way that we'll get to know God. And this is where we're going to be spending kind of the bulk of our time here. But this last way we get to know God through this passage is we get to see some actions of God. We get to see some actual things that he does or will do or has done. And, and we'll get to know God in that way. Sorry, my throat, I've, I'm still been... I've been messed up for like a month. I started taking antibiotics this week, so it's been great. <clears throat> so anyways, all that to say, we, we can get to know God through what he does, right? Right, like just like I can get to know Vince by that he spends so much time watching The Office. Maybe I shouldn't call him out that much. But there, there's, there's ways that truly I get to know Vince by his affinity for The Office. All right? That's a, a silly one. Some of you are laughing like, should you compare these things to God? Probably not. You're right. But just like that, we can get to know God through what he does and the actions he takes. Okay? So the first action I think we see God taking here, we're going to be looking at three different ones. The first action we see God taking here is God disciplines his people. God disciplines his people. You see in the, in the passage there, he talks about his people undergoing this refining process and this uh, fuller soap cleaning process, these, this isn't light terminology, right? We know f- refining is, like you put a, a metal into a fire that's really hot and you melt away everything that's not gold or silver, okay? This is intent. I don't know if you've touched fire, but it hurts, okay? So God, God's saying, I'm going to put my people in fire to refine them. And then he says, I'm also going to wash them with fuller soap. So uh, these fullers that would clean different things, part of their cleaning process, and this is just well known, is not only was it kind of like an intense cleaning process, and perhaps they used some intense kinds of soaps, but they, at the end of it, they would go down by the river, lay whatever it was they were washing, probably some kind of clothing or item like that, against some rocks, and then they would just beat it with sticks, right? I don't know the why, but that's just what they would do. So when God is using this language about how he's going to refine and clean his people, he, again, this is some intense language. The way that God uh, d- uh, refines us and disciplines us is a little bit more intense than I think we want it to be. When I first started really reading the Bible at length was probably when I was in college. 
And so I would get into these passages where I hear about God's discipline and how it would look for God's people and how it was described. And I really wrestled with it. I really said, this can't, what? No, (laughs) this can't be who you are, God. We can't experience your discipline in this way. But it's hard because all throughout the New Testament, this kind of imagery is used with God referring to how he's going to deal with his people. Right? Peter says in present tense for for the believers that there's going to be kind of like this refining fire process. In present tense. Hebrews talks about how God will discipline his people like a father disciplines a child and how it's uncomfortable, but it's good for us and makes us more like him. Paul, even in Corinthians, he almost echoes this exact passage, and he says even on the day of the Lord when when God returns one day, which this passage talks about a bit too, that there, even for some of us, is going to be this moment of of burning away of, of things we built on that were not Christ. So, so what's hard about wrestling with this is if you read the whole Bible, you're going to run into this idea a lot. It's not just in Malachi. It's not just in the Old Testament. And it's not just in one New Testament author, but in several. And, and so God disciplines his people. So I, I want to talk about just a few ways we react to God's discipline when we read it in the Bible. The first thing is we kind of do what I did in college, kind of just throw it out, just kind of go like, uh, I don't like that. Turn the page, right? Or a, a kind of a theological way that we get out of it, and some of you are probably even doing this right now. You go, well, Jesus took my punishment on the cross, so that's the discipline, right? Like, the only problem with that is you're not reading those passages closely enough. They're often talking about the present-day church and what God is doing after Jesus had already died on the cross. Now, here's, here's the other thing that a lot of us do. We read those passages, and we think anytime we experience suffering, God is just constantly bringing, punishing us for all the bad th- things we did before we knew Christ. That, that for whatever reason, every time something bad happens to us, it's like, man, that's because that one time I said that mean thing to that person. And, and, and another group of us, we think that anytime suffering happens in our life, it's got to be God disciplining us. Every time. Anything, anything painful in our life, it's God disciplining us in some way. Okay, so we have a lot of misconceptions when it comes to God's discipline. And if we're honest, we don't preach about it a lot or talk about it a lot. So I want to I just take a few minutes here to talk about God's discipline. So first, God's discipline, I think, is real. I think God does discipline his people. If you have faith in Christ, I think God does discipline you in some way. How that works exactly, it's a mystery. To me, what it seems like is God, at times, allows present sufferings and pains of the world into our life instead of just completely protecting us from them in order to draw some things out of us, in order to help us become more like him. As I read the scriptures, as I've studied discipline, I I think that's kind of the gist of it, kind of what it looks like. 
I also think this. I don't think when God disciplines us, he is dealing, he's like getting you back for everything you did pre-Christ, right? Like God's like, can't wait for them to become a Christian because I got a list here, right? Like in that way, Christ does absorb our punishment, right? But I do think in, in, in God's discipline, he's dealing with present you. Okay, so if you've got some baggage and some sin that you're holding on to that you also did before you knew Christ, God's probably going to deal with that. And maybe you think it's like God punishing you for all those things, but maybe God is just dealing with your present heart and trying to conform your present heart to be like him. God, again, God's not trying to get us back when he disciplines us. He's he's like a father loving his child. When I was a kid, I thought so many things were horrible that my parents did to me that were not horrible. Right? And it felt, I hated it, it felt uncomfortable, and I didn't like it. But in reality, they were forming me into a human that could function in society. (laughs) And just like my parents were trying to teach me what it meant to be part of the G family, God... He brings us in as children, and at times, he allows suffering in, instead of protecting us completely from it, in order for us to know what it means to have the family name, in order for us to know what it means to bear witness to Christ, and to be like Christ, and be temples of the Holy Spirit. So uh, one thing we do have to be careful of too, when it comes to suffering, is I don't think all suffering is discipline. I think when I look at the Bible and I read through the different sorts of reasons why suffering exists and why it happens, the answer isn't always God disciplining his people. There's all sorts of reasons for why suffering happens. Sometimes it's just because it's at the hands of evil people. Sometimes it's, uh, like Jesus referred to, for the glory of God. Like, there's all sorts of things about suffering, and that's confusing, and it's hard to deal with. And if if you even just ask Job and his friends, it took them about 40 chapters to just try to talk about it. And so we have to be careful to not think all suffering is God's discipline. Because I don't think all suffering is God's discipline. The Bible gives a variety of answers and reasons for why pain and suffering is happening. So how do we know when God is refining us, when God is disciplining us, kind of is the next question in that line of thinking. And I think, here's my first answer, I don't know. I don't know if we can know. There's no Bible verse that says this, you are experiencing the discipline of the Lord when this is happening, right? There's no verse like that. We want the Bible to be this input-output thing. It's not. But in my own experience, in my own understanding of God's discipline, here's what I, what I think we can know it's God's, uh, God's discipline of us. When there is suffering in our life, and it seems that because of that suffering, there are some sin issues that are just getting rooted out, or they're coming to the surface, or they're being made known. Right, not a lot of people know this, but me and, and my wife, we were engaged once and, and she broke, broke it off with me. And in that time, I, it w- I was going through a lot of pain and a lot of suffering. But you know what? I was seeing a lot of idols in my heart. I was seeing a lot of sin in my heart come bubble forth 
I also coincidentally had to live with my family for three months, so that was like an idle mirror shop of horror. Like, it was just... <laughs> and you know, as painful as that time was, I can look back on it and see, God was forming my heart to be more content in him, to know him better, to be more like him, to love him more, and to be a better husband one day. That, that's all I can say. So when you, when you notice that the suffering seems to be drawing some things out of you, it might be God's discipline. It might be God just using the, a suffering for your good. So God does discipline his people. And although it's, it's uncomfortable, it's, it's something true about God. And I'd, I'd be a bad pastor if I ignored it. The second action <clears throat> in this passage I think we see God taking is this. God is going to bring about judgment. God is going to judge people for their sins. God is going to judge the world for their sins. There is a day coming when God's going to show back up. And he's going to have some time judging each and every person. I don't know how that all looks. For their sins. And in that time, God's going to bring in his people. And he's going to cast out those that are not his people. Listen, this is really hard. Good friends of mine that are, I think love Jesus, they have a hard time with this idea. And the only problem with this, again, is, is Jesus talks a lot about this, too. This isn't just a Malachi thing. This isn't just the prophets. Jesus himself talks a lot about this, this judgment, this day of the Lord, when God is going to return and judge the world. Right, Jesus talks about this place. He calls it Gehenna, which we translate to hell, and some go right away, well, Gehenna was actually a trash dump on fire all the time. And so Jesus is saying a bunch of people are going to go to a trash dump on fire? Does that sound awesome? Like, obviously he didn't mean the literal trash dump. He obviously is speaking in metaphorical language, using a place, which, by the way, it's debated if that's really what it was, to elicit imagery in his hearers to go, this isn't a great place. God, Jesus talks about as being outer darkness rather than being like this wedding feast where he brings people in. He talks about it as a place of pain rather than a place of restoration. God is going to take care of evil one day. God's going to bring in his people one day. God's going to separate those that are not his people one day. Sometimes we as Christians, we get too crazy with this. We use it as a manipulation tactic. We add layers to, this, to, to hell that maybe aren't there. But, but here's what I know from Scripture. God is going to judge, and it's not, it's not good. And none of us are, are going to want to be part of that outer darkness. But this is part of how God deals with evil. And I can almost relate to the Israelites as they're saying, like, God, do you delight in evil? And it's almost like God speaks to my heart even in this day and goes, no, I don't. And you're not even going to like how I deal with evil and how fully I deal with evil, Anthony. Again, I, I think I would, be, I would be a bad pastor or teacher of the word if I didn't 
let you know that this is, this is part of who God is and what he does. Okay, uh, one last action that I want us to look at of God's that helps us to get to know him more. And here's what's beautiful about this action of God's that we're going to see. We're going to see that God, he uses even his justice and his judgment in order to draw us into his love. That even though God is just and he is going to bring judgment, he wants to use those things in order to draw us into his love. I want to reread verse 1 of chapter 3 because I just think it's kind of interesting here. Now remember, Israel just made this audacious statement and they asked this question. And so God in response, he says this in verse 1. Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. So as I study this passage, here's what's interesting to me about verses 1 through 5. Most people believe that verse 1 is is talking about the time of Jesus, right? This messenger who prepared the way, we know him to be John the Baptist, who came about and told Israel, hey, you got to repent from your sins, you got to turn back to God, you got to get baptized as a representation of that, right? And then Jesus, the Lord himself, arrives, And then here's what's interesting. Verses 2 through 5, at least the vast majority of them, seem to be God talking about this day of the Lord, when when Jesus is going to return, when God comes that one day and, and judges the whole world. And so it's just interesting to me, and it was a little confusing for me, of when God is saying, I'm going to roll out my justice and judgment plan, I'm going to judge sinners, and I'm going to bring justice. And the way he starts off talking about how he's going to do that is he says, I'm going to send John the Baptist, and I'm going to send Jesus. And I began to realize that Jesus himself is part of God's justice and judgment plan. Malachi, in verse 2, he asks these kind of two questions. He goes, who can endure this day, this day when the Lord comes and judges the world? He says, who could be left standing on that day? Malachi is saying, he's trying to communicate to us that when God is in the presence of sinful humanity, in rightful, righteous judgment, nobody can be left standing. Right? Malachi wasn't saying, like, who's here? Right? He was saying, like, Nobody can do it. I think even Malachi said, like, I can't even stand before the Lord because of my sin. I will be drop dead either due to his holiness or I will drop dead due to his righteous judgment against me. Jesus wants to teach us that too. Jesus wants to bring about justice in a way that teaches us That God's judgment leaves no person standing. So Jesus, he showed us in his life that he was holy, he was good, and he is the Lord. But as Jesus goes to the cross, he's giving us a preview. He's giving us a preview of what the day of the Lord is going to look like. He's helping us to see that when God's judgment comes, No one is left standing. What we find out, though, 
is Jesus wasn't giving us just a preview. Jesus himself was taking on God's judgment. Jesus said that he was going to take on the sins of the world. He was going to take on the penalty for sin, which is death. And so even though none of us could be left standing before the Lord, Jesus said, you know what, I'm going to take that on myself. I tried to think of like analogies for what this looks like and how it could be, and I just couldn't because of the greatness of it. We have a God who says, yes, I'm so loving that I'm good. I'm so loving that I'm just. I'm so loving that the way that I will take care of evil one day is I will judge it and I will eradicate it. But that same God says, even though you deserve that judgment, even though you deserve that justice, I want to take it on for you. I want to bear the weight for you. Right? We could have had a God that said, here is a big list. Make sure you follow a list. If you don't follow a list, you're out. If you do follow a list, you're in. It's like the show the good place, right? Like we could have had a God that ha- did that. But we had a God that said, no, I'm going to bear the judgment for your sake. And what Jesus shows us is even though he was left laying in the tomb, not standing, three days later, he stands up out of the tomb. Almost answering Malachi's question, saying, there is one. There is one person that can be left standing after God's judgment, and it's God himself. And so Jesus... He he comes back to life to show us what he wants for all of us. He wants us to have a restored life. He wants us to have a resurrected life. He wants everybody in here to not experience death. Like, that's a true thing about God. And if some of us do experience death, God wants to raise you back. And here's here's Jesus' way to get in. Believe that he did this. How gracious of him. How loving. How kind. That even though we deserve justice, even though we deserve judgment, the one being in the universe takes that judgment on himself. And then he says, to to avoid this same judgment, you just have to believe in me. You just have to follow me. You just have to repent from your sin, and I will give you forgiveness of your sins. This is how good Jesus is. So, yeah, I I don't want to use all this talk about judgment and judging to freak you out and scare you into following Christ. But I, I, I do want to use it for you to see how great God's love is for you. Like God could have kept it a secret about how much he hates sin and how he's going to take care of it, but he didn't. And so when Jesus dies on the cross for our sin, how much greater does his love seem? When you look at his teachings and look at how he wanted to draw in his people and the nations, how much greater does his love seem? He did something for us that we rightfully deserve. And I know some of you wrestle with that. Do I, do I deserve? No, this is how God eradicates evil. If you want to take care of evil, you've got to take care of all of it. And so even little parts of evil in us, if we're going to compare ourselves, is evil enough for death. But Jesus took that on for us. 
we get, in Malachi, we get to know God. We get to know who he really is. And it presses against what we want at times. God is wearied by our sin. God is just. God is patient. God is loving. God desires for his people to turn from their sin. God disciplines us. God is going to judge people one day. But he made a way for us to avoid the painfulness of all that by giving up of himself. Church, I hope we got to know God better today. Let's pray. God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for the book of Malachi, God. God, it's astounding to me even just when I think about your word, I think about how you use it, and that we get to know you through it. We get to have a relationship that's better because of it. Gosh, God, we need you. I, I, there's probably all sorts of feelings going on right now in this room, God. First, I think there's a bunch of us that are just recoiling from any of the idea, these ideas. Or, uh, perhaps it's because it's some of the first time we've heard it. Maybe we've kind of just glossed over that. God, help us to rightfully embrace what you're trying to teach us today. God, there's probably another group of us in here that, uh, for whatever reason, love this stuff about you. And, and use it for manipulating and use it for scare tactics and all these things and forget the wholeness of who you are and the wholeness of your love and your justice. So God, correct our hearts in that way too. Help us to not go too far with some of these things like we often do. And God, none of us want to experience judgment one day, but I just thank you that even in your judgment, you're inviting us in, into your love. And it's an invitation that's so easy. And I think it's because it shows how gracious you are. So God, help us with that balance. Help us to know what that means. To, to dive more deeply into your grace. And to know your justice. And to know your judgment. God, we love you and we need you. Amen.